Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. Manchester United back in action this weekend against Norwich amid a background of Glazer protests and as the end, Eric Ten Hag manager news edges closer. I'm Dominic Booth, delighted to be joined on this podcast by our usual first choice lineup, uh, Samuel Luckhurst. Welcome to you. Thank you, Dom. Thank you for that introduction. I'm not put, putting myself in the first choice lineup. I'm saying you two, you know, that's for the people to decide. <laughs> but um, Tyrone Marshall also with us. How are you, mate? Uh, good. Thank you, Dom. Very good. Excellent stuff. Well, yeah, I touched on it there, Samuel. The we had it a little bit today, recording this on the on the Friday afternoon. A few protesters outside United's Carrington training ground as um, Ralph Rangnick prepared to give his press conference uh, on Friday. It, it, it went pa- past quite peacefully. You just told me off air, but um, there are obviously more protests planned for for before the Norwich game. Yes, when I turned on to. Um... Isherwood Road, I think it is, and it's, it's quite a long drive up towards the the first first barrier. And I just saw, I knew there were going to be loads of parents and school children because it's it's Easter, it's the holidays, so it's going to be busier than usual. And then I saw the sight of how many that that were there, and I felt crikey, it's you know, it's really busy. And of course, the closer I got to it, it's like it's like seeing a mirage, and you you think you've seen something, but you're seeing something else. So I, then I very quickly realised that these guys were not there for for autographs or selfies with with any of the players. Um, and, and the security guys were very good. They were very relaxed. They weren't uh, flustered at all. Um, it, there was a, a pretty peaceful distance as well kept from where the the protesters were when I I drove past them, and where the first um, the first barrier was. And the, the the guys there said, "Oh yeah, these are the protesters." You know, they, they clarified that was the case. It wasn't anything um, anything different. And then you have to this long country lane that you have to drive up um, before you get to the entrance where you turn left to go into the training ground. But that was shut up this time. There were about I don't know four or five security guys just waving me down towards the back entrance. That rear entrance is usually reserved for the players because it's right by the the first team car park, and it's also where the, the Jimmy Murphy Centre is, which is um, which is where the press conferences are held on. Now that we're doing them back in person on a weekly basis parked up and you know it, all i noticed was that i think there was there was security personnel outside the entrance to the academy building and the main building as well um went into the jimmy murphy center and then after like kind of like tweeting what i'd seen uh just went back outside to have a look and there, there were some police cars outside that main entrance which was still locked up it was obviously that was the entrance last year that some protesters got through when they were um voicing their their concerns about the glazers after the whole super league thing but speaking to the photographer who managed to bolt down to carrington after i spoke to him um to, to get a picture of those protesters he said that they wanted to stress that it was peaceful um it, that there was a distance between them and, and the security i'm not necessarily sure if, if the police were entirely necessary but they were called along uh, United said it passed without um, without any issues at all, and, and certainly by the time that I, I left Carrington, which was probably about quarter past two, um, th- those those protesters had had all dispersed. You just had a load of uh, kids still just hoping to get an autograph. Uh, I must apologise to the child who held out his ball for me to sign. I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't have. I couldn't, oh, you should have done. I couldn't, I couldn't pretend that I was some new, some new German <laughs> signing that they'd never heard of or something like that. I, I just couldn't do it. So 
um, I, I don't think he'll be too disappointed anyway. From the five side we play, Samuel, I think the answer to the, the Gagan pressing in midfield, I think, is <laughs> obviously there. Uh, Tyrone, back on, on the process, I guess um, the timing is what interests me a, a little bit because kind of similar to the timing, uh, not exactly the same time of the year, but obviously the season last year was was um, pushed back later because of COVID. So it is similar timing to those Liverpool match protests that we saw last year. As Samuel hinted, it might not be quite as um, sort of vociferous as we saw back then, but is this just the kind of reaction to the mediocrity that we're, we're seeing repeat itself at United more than anything else? Um, I mean, I, I don't think so. There's, there's always been the undercurrent of anti-Glazer sentiment there. Um, I think, you know, I said on the podcast earlier in the week, the issue is that these these podcasts do become sporadic because, and it's natural, a lot of fans are sated by, you know, you talk about those protests last year after the Super League. I mean, they were, you know, that Liverpool game was unbelievable in terms of what you want to achieve from a protest. There were protests within ground in terms of anti-Glazer songs, but it kind of died down a bit at the start of this season because, A, a lot of fans are happy to be back in grounds, and B, you're not in a really good transfer window. And to to certainly not the, the you know the, the vociferous minority who want the Glazers out come hell or high water, but to a lot signing Ronaldo, Sancho, and Varane was was enough. Um, and then we've not kind of heard it again, and now it's it's coming up again. I mean, the Glazers are a problem now, just to say they're a problem when United are finishing second under Solskjaer or winning trophies under uh, Mourinho or winning the league under Ferguson. They've always you know they've they're not doing anything differently now. If anything, they would argue that they're actually they are doing things differently and they're doing things better in terms of attempting to engage with fans, even though it's very, very early days in that and a lot more action needs to be seen. But in terms of how they run the club, there's the same issues now than there has been for the last 15 years. The, you know, what, what needs to happen? Samuel mentioned on Monday the the protest at Liverpool over the ticket prices a few years ago. I mean, that worked brilliantly because Liverpool cocked up a winning position from 2-0 against an average team. But it also worked well because thousands left on 77 minutes. It wasn't a hardcore minority of a few hundred. You know, thousands left Anfield and it was impossible to avoid. And it'll be interesting to see tomorrow how many do this protest and, and go in after 17 minutes because that's what that's what you need. The, the vocal minority need to keep going and they need more people involved. They need to bring more people along. And you're right that it's interesting timing because it's coming at the end of a season. And there's obviously going to be a fresh start this summer in terms of a new manager. And you just wonder if it will carry on to the start of next season or whether a new manager and it will all kind of calm down again. Because if you want to force the Glazers out, sporadic protests aren't, aren't going to do it. Um, you know, it, it's got to be it's got to be constant. So it's it's great to protest now towards the end of the season, the last seven games. But it can't stop just because United get a new manager. If the end goal is to get rid of the Glazers, it has to continue whether there's a new manager in place or not. Yeah, no, I'm not, the sort of basis of my question really was the fact that, like you say, Tyro, nothing has really changed in the past mm. year. Um, I guess there's been a few noises, Samuel, from from Joel Glazer and attempts to, to connect with the fans. And there's the old Trafford development news that we've had this week as well. Um, some people read that as a, a sort of a PR span thing to spun thing to time it as the, as the process were about to come. How, how do you see that? And how do you see the sort of efforts that, that the Glazers have made to, to try and repair the relationship after those Liverpool protests last year? 
I certainly understand supporters' cynicism over that. I don't think the timing is completely coincidental. That uh, There were some people who worked for the club who had, had planned to have, have this weekend off because it's Easter and, let's face it, it's, it's only Norwich at home on, on Saturday. E- even Ty's not turning up this weekend. He, he's, <laughs> he's getting a weekend off from the, the draining experience of, of covering United. Uh, but of course, they're unfortunately for them. They're now having to work because of um, because of the protests. They feel as though they need to be on the ground, and um, if, if something does happen, that they're there to, to 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 act. But they they want to make it clear that it's not as if there's been zero dialogue with the supporters over the last year. I, I don't think they've gone about it in a completely um, sound way. I mean, Joel Glazer apparently he did speak to United supporters on the fans' advisory board. In January, the way United um, explained that to me was that uh, those discussions can be held confidentially. So it's not going to be like the fans forum where the minutes are published and you've pretty much got a transcript of what's been said on that, whether it's uh, someone who's uh, a staff member at the club or, or just a supporter. But ultimately, it's been more than three years now since Joel Glazer actually attended a United game. Uh, Avram Glazer has only attended, I think, one game since the the first day of the season in in 2019-20, and that was for for Ronaldo's debut back in back in September. Uh, they are absentee landlord owners. It's that's that's not changed whatsoever. Um, they've not done enough to make people feel as though that the club have turned a corner as far as um, the Glazers' ownership is concerned or whether the fans feel um, as, as important as they should be. Of course, you know, the, the plans for Old Trafford and the redevelopment and the modernisation of it, they've, they've been the pipeline for, for, for a while now. And But again, just that topic, it just makes you makes you think, why have, why have they taken this long to do it? If, if Ultimately, if the Super League hadn't have happened last year, I don't think United would have been looking at enhancing Old Trafford. They had to do something that was going to keep the fans at bay or some fans at bay. And there's still no time frame on when uh, the, the planning, uh, you know, when the building will start, wh- whatever it is they may do, whether it's just expanding the South Stand, whether it's knocking it down. Uh, there's no budget on it as well. It's, it's just very much, you know, they're at the stage one of of what's going to happen there. And it's still unclear as to what is going to happen there. But the fact that they've actually hired, uh, I think it's Legends International, who obviously were the architects responsible for Tottenham Stadium, which if anyone's been to, it, it is one of the best football or soccer stadiums on the planet. They've done, uh, they, they oversaw the the reconstruction of the main sand at Anfield, which is extremely impressive. The Bernabeu and Camp Nou um, are going through uh, some, you know, some renovations as well, which this group are overseeing. I think Wimbledon have, have, have touched base with them. So they've, they've gone to the right people by, by the look of things. And it remains to be seen how long this, this process to improve Old Trafford will be. But it, what I find quite interesting with these protests this weekend is that they're not just targeting the Glazers. I mean, if you look at the two bedsheets that one fold outside Carrington's day, one was one said Glazers out, the other one said not fit to wear the shirt. Um, I think some of them have, a lot of the supporters, understandably, have had their fill of a lot of these players in the squad. It, it is a it is a toxic squad. It's a squad that is going through probably 
so, well, one of the worst seasons at United, maybe since the, the late 80s or sometime in the 80s. And this is a season where we were talking about at the start of it that this was the strongest United squad since Ferguson's last great side. And, and nobody was really disputing that. So it, it has been a, a dreadful and draining season. And it, it could still get worse, unfortunately, given that the, there's Anfield on Tuesday. And I thought Rangnick spoke quite sensibly about um, the, the supporters' right to protest when he was asked about it at Carrington today. He said, as long as they're peaceful, he understands it. And he understands the um, obvi- the obvious anger over the performances this season Not and, and referenced how, how poor United were after they conceded at Everton last week. Yeah, you can never criticise Rangnick for his uh, his honesty, willingness to, um, to be open in press conferences. And that is a good point, Ty, that... You know, it's not just the Glazers that got to take the blame here, and maybe it's not just the Glazers who's um, who are getting the brunt of this of this fan ire at the moment with the players that are in the squad having hugely underperformed. You know, compared to those predictions that we all made at the start of the season, rather foolishly now, I must say. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the players have been an embarrassment this season, really, haven't they? The vast majority of them. You only need to be a Goodison last week to see quite to see the fracture really between fans and players. The United's away dayers are probably the best in the country in terms of the atmosphere they make. And to see, I mean, the, the fact that at Goodison, you're still using this different tunnel for away players. I mean, the United players would have been absolutely devastated to see it was right next to the away end. And as they walked past from the away end, I mean, you, you could see from the press box and it was just like the, the fury sort of coming their way. I mean, when you're chucking smoke bombs at your own players, you know you know things aren't, aren't right, really. Um, and you can see that there was a section that had sort of gathered towards the tunnel and was just giving all sorts of those players. And, I mean, they have been a, a monumental letdown, haven't they? Um, I mean, I think there's, there's clearly been issues over both coaches that have been asked to, to manage them this season. But fundamentally, the players have let them both down as well. Um, and it has just been none of those players... And maybe with the exception of De Gea, have performed to their abilities this season. All of them have got several gears more to go up. Um, it is, you know, I mean, De Gea and maybe Fred are the only two that I can think of the top of my head that are coming out of it with credit. Um, Varane when he's fit. Um, but beyond that, yeah, they've been, they've been a hopeless embarrassment. And two of the teams above them, three of the teams above them, have got far inferior squads to United. And yeah, it's just... It is, you know, there's, there's, it's hard to find words to do it justice because they they have been embarrassed and they have down tools too often this season. There is no character or belief in there at all. And the way they just surrendered at Goodison last week and actually played relatively well for 25 minutes was pathetic, basically. So you can fully understand why why the fans have just had enough of this group of players. And the reality is a lot of these players will still be here next season and it wouldn't surprise you if a lot of them are actually playing a lot better. And part of that will be down to having a coach they have faith and belief in. But, you know, you sometimes you've got to work beyond that and you've just got to accept the circumstances you're in. You, you don't you don't have faith or belief in Ranjik, but you're being paid millions to, to make it work. So you do your best and you find a way and you listen to what he's telling you, you do what he's telling you. And clearly not enough of those players have, have had the, the appetite to do that this season. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was messaging a friend earlier today, Samuel, and we're trying to come up with a list of players who might leave United, but the list is just too long. You you come to all the all these players and you think, well, there's no way they can let 10, 11, 12 players go in one window. It's, it, I think we, we've said this so many times in, in the past few transfer windows. 
oh, they need to get rid of players. They need to get rid of players. And it never really seems to happen. One or two might leave alone, but is this again one of the one of the biggest obstacles to United this summer that they, they just won't be able to shift all these players that they need to? Absolutely. There's there's already quite a conscious um not, not plan, but where where Ed Woodward is no longer there, it's very easy to say, oh, he was to blame for that, he was responsible for that. Um, there were people at the club who kind of like shake their head in disbelief that Eric Bay got a contract last season. And that was because, as, as I've written a, a few times, but there's this really weird thought process at United, or there used to be, that um, if you've got a player under contract, it looks good on the asset sheet or their resale value is increased. But it seems like Woodward just completely underestimated United's ability to sell players, which has, has not been great for quite a long time really I, I always think of going back to when David Beckham left the Real Madrid in 2003 he went for 25 million pounds now that was extremely that was dirt cheap for someone who was only 28 at the time he's probably the most recognizable sports person in the world um, if you were creating a Frankenstein's monster of a footballer you would use Beckham's right foot he could do anything with with that right foot, it, it was remarkable to behold uh, when he was in his pomp. And he wasn't a busted flush at that point either. And even in that in that era, 25 million was extremely cheap. And he'd only signed a new contract the previous year as well. So he was under contract, I think, until 2007. But Ferguson just wanted rid of him. And apart from maybe the Daniel James deal in the summer and, and Chris Small in the year before that, where... I don't think it was a coincidence on that deadline day that the fee for Smalling um, up front and with add-ons was exactly the same as Alex Tellez. It was very much one out, one in. We're happy to do that. But certainly with this summer, what, what helps Ten Hag is that five players are leaving. So the, the decks are getting cleared to an extent anyway. And then you've just got to be quite... I, su- I suppose it depends on what each individual player's feeling is and whether they feel as though that they can still um, have a career at United next season. I suppose Andres Pereira is another one you can add into it, even though he's not played for United for so long that you forget he's actually still attached to the club, but everyone expects him to to join Flamengo per- um, permanently. So that's, that's six players that the decision has already been taken uh, pretty much. But then you, as you, as you've just alluded to, there's no way they're going to sell... Marshall and Rashford in the same summer. Obviously, Rashford is considering his future. You'd probably say Marshall, I mean, Marshall is already out the door because he's on loan, but even when he comes back to the club, I think he's just going to be sat in the door frame, really, waiting to be uh, to be pushed out of it. Whereas with Rashford, I think there's an element of posturing going on there, um, given that there will be contract discussions, but it's, it's an altogether different debate whether he actually deserves a a new contract when it's coming close to coming up to what 18 months since he was he was last playing properly well for a sustained period and although going into this summer it feels like it, it certainly feels a lot like the summer of 2019 there was a lot of disenchantment at the end of that season after a dreadful run-in it was a manager's first summer they weren't in the Champions League they were restricted in terms of the players they could target they can't operate that way because it didn't work uh, in that summer but also, I think as far as the outgoings are concerned, it probably needs to be more like Van Gaal's first summer um, in that there was it was quite the exodus there. He was very, very um, decisive in, in, in just, you know, culling that squad. 
but some of those and so some of those decisions were taken out of his hands because uh, Ferdinand and Vidic were were leaving on freeze. Um, Ever was pretty much going, even though he officially left under Van Gaal. Giggs retired, but looking at the pl- the list of players who left in that summer, um, there there were so many low level uh, departures really. So it didn't feel like the squad had a had a massive. Um, it didn't feel like there was a mass exodus from the squad or the mass exodus that there should have been. You look at the main. Uh, departures just looking at the list here Welbeck was on deadline day uh, Kagawa didn't cut it under Moyes and uh, went quite quickly after I think, the MK Dons game Bebe didn't, was an irrelevance uh, Zaha left permanently for Palace in January Angelo Henriquez never played for the club uh, then you're looking at just mainly uh, oh Alexander Butner again nobody was really sorry to see him go and then you're just looking at a load of loan deals um, Tom Cleverley, uh, Javier Hernandez, uh, Sam Johnston, when Sam Johnston was going to Doncaster Rovers on loan. So although a lot of players did leave, maybe the calibre of players, um, maybe they, maybe it wasn't as ruthless a summer as it felt like at that time. But over, over the course of the two summers, Van Gaal was in charge. I'd say he was quite ruthless in that, you know, Johnny Evans is a player. People still say, well, should they have sold him? Hernandez did leave permanently. Di Maria went after a season. Van Persie went. Nani went. Raphael went. So after a year in charge, I think he was properly ruthless in terms of his squad management. So maybe it, it could be similar with Ten Hag in that there has to be an element of patience because you can't just sell 10 players. And I don't, I'm not saying that United should sell 10 players, but there are... It certainly breaks double figures for the players where he's going to have to make a decision on whether he keeps them or he allows them to to leave on loan or permanently. Yeah, yeah. That's what Samuel wrote this week, Tyrone, that United are going to wait for, for Ten Hag before deciding on transfer targets. They'll probably wait for him before deciding on those to exit. That that door frame that Samuel spoke of is, uh, is going to get quite busy, I think. But um, in terms of Ten Hag, Ty, do you think that I mean, there's been some talk that he, how much power he's going to get in in terms of those transfers and how much of a say. You can only hope that he he does get a say. But with with the advice of Rangnick and and football concerned people in the in the hierarchy. Yeah, I think you know. I think a lot of that has been overplayed. I think what he wants is basically, you know, the, the chance to say no, he doesn't fit. But I don't think he's going to be signing his his own players constantly. I mean, he's been coach for five years at Ajax, who have a very well-established sporting director model. So it's not like he's coming from a club where he has had total control. He hasn't. So he's not going to come to Man United and expect total control. Um, so, you know, I think what he wants is probably the chance to say that player doesn't fit or, you know, just basically how it's going to work. Um, so I, I don't think he was ever coming in expecting he's going to get total control because that's not what he's had at Ajax. So that's not how Ajax operates. Um but he does need to, you know, he needs to make sure the, the, the right players are signed that, that fit. And that hasn't always been been the case at United. Um, so you can understand him wanting to, the chance to, to shape his own squad. And he probably wants the power to say, you know, to, to, to make decisions on, on futures as well. Because this, this isn't really a squad that suits him, just like it wasn't a squad that suits Ranić and, and Ten Hag. Ten Hag's very, um, you know, it's been very flexible. You look at his 2018-19 IX team and this one, and they are different, especially in, in the final third. I mean, they played with Tadic as a false nine three years ago. Now they're playing a six-foot, three-inch centre-forward, and Tadic is a left-footed left-winger swinging in crosses. So 
he has been versatile, but he still plays a very aggressive out of possession game with with high pressing and that's what Ranjit came in to do and within what felt like a month maybe decided that I'm not going to work these players aren't up to that and you watch United now they don't press United aren't a pressing team at all under Ranjit um, so clearly somewhere along the line Ranjit has decided and it was it was always going to take time but it's not like we're four months down the line and you can see the improvements they just don't press at all so um, you know Ranjit Ranjit could compromise I guess or admit defeat because he was an interim and his time in the dugout was always finite with Ten Hag that's not the case he isn't going to compromise those are his philosophies so you either get on board or you get out basically so I imagine a lot of the power he wants is is that that if players are not to play in his pressing game well there's little point in them being here um so it'll be interesting to see who who does fit like someone says there's a lot of decisions to be made over futures as well as as well as incomings the, the obvious one here is the same with Ranick as always Ronaldo. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't be writing Ronaldo off just yet. I think more the bigger issue for United is does Ronaldo want to stay? Because his time at the at the very top is, you know, we're getting towards the end here. He's got maybe one season left. It's so long since he wasn't playing the Champions League that the last time he played in another European competition, it was called the UEFA Cup. So I can't imagine he's gonna embrace a season in the Europa Conference League. Um but if he does want to stay, I wouldn't necessarily think Tenag is going to write him off. I don't, I don't see any reason why Ronaldo can't press, certainly to the extent that, that Haller does, for example, at Ajax. And with Haller, he's showing that he can play a centre-forward and a, you know, a, an airy dominant one at that. So it could yet work out for, for Ronaldo. But I think there's certainly players in that squad he's probably going to look at and think, not, I'm not sure you're for me. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he, he did respond to a, a journalist in his Ajax press conference today, basically saying why he hasn't said anything about United. And he said because he's got two trophies to try and win with, with Ajax, which I suppose United fans will be will be urging him on to, to win. It's been a while since United fans have seen a manager of theirs lift any silverware, even if it won't be uh, actually in United colours. Um, Samuel, we've got the small matter. People always say small matter. Ironically, but this game against Norwich is genuinely a small matter. Um, you talked about the um, the Liverpool game being obviously the tricky one around the corner, and United looking, you know, almost certain losers of that game unless they can produce something miraculous. But even this game, you, you sort of think, well, there's no guarantee United will do anything and turn up in this game. It's it's just like this is uh, on paper the easiest game the league has to offer, and yet it's a sign of where United are that. There are no guarantees. Being the optimist that I am, I, I put the case to, to tie last week, a reason why United would not win any of their remaining eight or nine games. And of course, they this was before the Everton game and they went and lost that. Uh, the, the, game tomorrow is, the, the, game, the game tomorrow is is probably more important to Norwich because they, they still mathematically can stay up when you weigh up United situation. I mean, they're, they're not going to get fourth. It's, it's mathematically possible, but... Just the way they the way they played at Everton last week, you know, covering that game at the time, I just I think because I've become so used to watching these players play the way they do, it didn't feel particularly offensive at the time. But then, as you know, logging on on Monday morning and, and working, I think the more I, when the dust settled, the more I dwelt on it. I thought actually it was just absolutely dreadful. And yeah, speaking to to people who know some of the Everton players, uh, when Everton players are shocked at how bad Man United are, um, 
you know, can, can the season really get any lower? It's it's been that way on a, on a monthly basis, and I, I'm not I'm not being like deliberately pessimistic. But you do look at United's remaining games, and it is very easy to make a case for why they might not win that game. Even Brentford at home on a a Mayday Bank holiday, I think it is. You probably think, well, Brentford are playing a competitive game at Old Trafford for the first time since I think it was the mid seventies. It's an opportunity for them, and they they thrashed Chelsea four one recently. So why, why can't they go and and beat this United team at Old Trafford? So however we however way you look at it, or um, well, certainly if you look at it through that prism, it's very easy to you know really write off United. But I mean Norwich. I, I I am absolutely not going to say they should win it because I, I think it's well past that point now. And when you look at their record against the bottom four, thrashed by Watford, drew at home with Watford, they were very fortunate to beat Norwich. I think Norwich were probably disappointed that they didn't win that game in December. Um, they they drew at home to Everton. They lost at Everton. They they, they beat Burnley at home, I suppose, but then they, they drew at Turf Moor in, in February. They, they have dropped a silly amount of points against the bottom four. So there's not a lot of faith there um, that you'd have in United actually winning this weekend, which is remarkable given the opposition, given that they're playing at home. And then you factor in some of the um, the key players who are injured. I mean, OK, Cavani, he might as well just relocate to, to Uruguay. He's He's been doing that all season. He should, he should have just stayed in Uruguay. But Fred and, and Varane are, are key absences. United, I mean, it kind of got lost amid the, the gloom of last week, but United, again, lost a game that Varane did not start in the Premier League. Uh, Fred has been their best midfielder this season by by com- considerable distance. And they, they, they've lost some very, they've lost very badly uh, a number of times this season when he hasn't played. They've lost badly when he has played, but when he hasn't played in those defeats, his, his absence has, has certainly been felt. Um, which is why we, we've been asked to do our panel, and I've just said play Alvaro Fernandez and, and Hannibal Mejbri. So it's you know you can get people excited, and there's something to um, to go at. But I fully expect uh, I fully expect Aaron Wan-Bissaka, Alex Tellez, Victor Lindelof, and Paul Pogba to be starting tomorrow. And not enough changes from from the Everton game. So yeah, and and it also clashes with the the Liverpool City Cup semi final. So I can't imagine. Um, anyone will be trying to seek out uh, an illegal live stream of, of Man United Norwich online. The illegal streamers might have to, yeah, work extra hard this weekend. Uh, <laughs> Ty, do you, do you see that? What can United get out of out of this next next run of fixtures? I mean, a few of our writers have been editing content this week, and a few of our writers have, have put that United's hopes of the top four are completely extinguished it's been a phrase people have used and I've actually looked at the table and I thought well they're actually not they're only six points behind and there's seven games left but the way they're playing they, you know, the top four hopes are completely extinguished any other team you'd say well they've still got a chance here Norwich if Norwich have got a chance of staying up then United have got a chance of the top four right or is is the, am I misgauging the mood by saying that <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Norwich haven't got a chance of staying up and United haven't got a chance of top four, I would say. Um, but yeah, I mean, to get top four, they need to win six of seven games. On current evidence, it would probably take them 60 games to win another six on, on recent form. So it's, you know, it's it's extremely unlikely. I mean, does anyone really think they're going to go to Anfield and win on Tuesday? Even winning at the Emirates next week feels, feels beyond them. Um, they've still got Chelsea at home to play. So it is... You know, it is. It 
obviously mathematically you're right it's it's not impossible and two teams above them are, are hit and miss Tottenham are in great form but they were also torn apart by Aston Villa for 45 minutes last week I mean they, they could have been 3-1 down at half time in, in that game but they are playing very well Arsenal starting to throw in a few Arsenal performances Stricker on United because I can I can certainly see the argument in playing youngsters and I would have Fernandez and Hannibal both on the bench at least. Um but they do, you know, that while it is mathematically possible, they're not gonna, you know, I can't see Ranić just basically giving it up and and playing youngsters. So I think he will play a strong team tomorrow when they've they've obviously they've got to win. I mean to to fail to beat Norwich at home would just be well, they'd be another it won't be typical United this season, really, wouldn't it? But they have they have to win. And you know, if they won that, lost on Tuesday, won at the Emirates, you'd maybe say, eh, still still half a chance here. But you, you just can't see them winning six or seven games. And I think that's probably what, what they need to do. But certainly at the moment, I think you've you've still got to play the strongest team as a manager and think this is this is still possible. You never know what's around the corner. But I think those youngsters and those those are the two. Obvious ones. People mentioned Garnacho. I mean, I'd be very wary of throwing a 17-year-old kid into this environment to make his debut. To be honest, you want, you know, you want young just to be making their debut in an encouraging, stable, happy environment. And you, you know, you're basically throwing into the wolves, putting him in this team. Hannibal and Fernandez are both 19. Fernandez has, you know, came through at Real Madrid. Hannibal's been part of it. Has played two international tournaments this year. It was a 10 million euro transfer not long ago. So. They've both got a bit more experience than Garnacho. I don't think there's any reason they shouldn't be playing before the end of the season. And when United's season is over, probably next Saturday, then you know you, you can look at them starting games. But at the starting point, they need to win tomorrow and, and sort of cling on to 20 life they can going into next week. Yeah, certainly. It'll be good to see those youngsters, but the uh the horrible thing. Maybe we don't quite see them. It depends what United do over the next few days. Uh, I'm not going to ask you two for predictions. We're forgoing them for the rest of the season, at least on my watch anyway. Um, but thank you very much, uh, Samuel. Thank you very much, Ty, for being on today's podcast. Thank you, Dom. Thanks, Dom. And thank you for listening. We'll be back with another one of these from the Manchester is Red podcast very, very soon. Please leave us a like and a subscribe. And we'll be back again shortly. See you.